Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Life Together on Mission. Together, we're learning to join Jesus in his mission in this world. Thanks for joining us. Great to be back with you. Can't wait to share what God's laid on my heart with you this morning. If you're just joining us today, uh, as we've already mentioned, we have been in this series called Life Together on Mission. And in this series, we've been looking at five practices or habits that we see in the life of Jesus that he used as he walked along his everyday ordinary life in order to engage people with the mission of God. And we're reminding ourselves that Jesus' mission is still our mission today. And so we're hoping as we go through these habits or these practices that we would put them into our life and we could use them to engage people in our community, in our world, with the gospel. Now, I got to tell you, as a person who grew up in the church in the 80s and 90s, this series is so refreshing for me. You see, back then, I think we had a tendency to kind of separate what we would call evangelism from our everyday normal lives. Sharing the gospel was sort of like a class that we were taught, and we were told tricks and techniques to turn any conversation into a spiritual conversation. And while I don't dismiss the importance of some of that, I would say, if I'm being honest, sometimes these classes were a little bit guilt-driven. They had a tendency at times to turn people into projects instead of just treating them as people who God cared about. But what we've been learning is that's not what we see in the life of Jesus. He never turned people into products or projects. He never saw evangelism as a program. He saw it as an everyday opportunity as he walked along the path of his life. For too long in the church, we have seen evangelism as a separate thing. And I bet you most of us in this room would say, I know some people who are really good at that, but I'm not one of them. Yeah? But I don't think that's the way we're supposed to view this. The life of Jesus shows us, if you're on your notes, that we can be on mission with Jesus in our everyday, ordinary lives. In fact, I would say that is where God works the most. The key is simply to have our eyes open, to see where God may already be at work, and then learning, as we have been doing in this series, how to engage with people the way that Jesus did. And so just a quick review so far in this series, we've seen the way Jesus did this. We've been using our journals. Hopefully you grab one of these, and if you didn't, we still have some available. And we've seen the habits that he uses or the practices that he uses there. And as we learned, the first habit was what? What did Jesus do every morning with his father? He prayed. He prayed, Father, open my eyes to see where you're at work in this world. Help me to join you in your mission in this world. Now, sometimes I think we dismiss prayer because it's not as action-oriented as we think we're supposed to be. But I got to tell you, I've learned in my life, the more I'm willing to start my day praying for the Lord to open my eyes, the more often than not he puts someone in my path. And I'm more aware of it. Most days, I don't do that. And so I'm not aware of what God may be doing. But if I simply turn my heart to him, he will make, bring somebody into my path, almost guaranteed. Now that leads to the second habit. I'm so glad we talked about this, that Jesus practiced compassionate curiosity. Jesus didn't turn people into product, projects. He didn't try to force things. He simply genuinely cared for the people that God put in his path. And he did that by asking them questions and by caring for them. No hidden agenda. Not forcing things. He simply engaged with people where they were. Now listen, if it turned into a spiritual conversation, and of course with Jesus, it often did, he would follow that down the natural path. He stepped into that. And I would just say again, that's maybe one of the weaknesses of those evangelism classes. 
If you didn't turn every conversation into a spiritual conversation, into a presentation of the gospel, then you failed. But I want to tell you, free you from that. Sometimes all God may be calling us to do is to care for another human being he puts in our path. And then last week, Brian did a great job sharing about that third habit Jesus practiced. Jesus blessed people he came across. Sometimes he did that through an act of kindness. Sometimes he did that with a word of affirmation. We learned that the word bless means satisfying a need for people. And we can do that in our everyday, ordinary, sometimes boring lives, can't we? In fact, this week we've been hearing stories from some of you about how you've gone this last week out to bless people. And I heard too many stories to share, but I got to share one of them with you. One woman on our church wrote us and shared, I brought a dinner to a neighbor because she knew, I knew she was going through a hard time. This small blessing led to a conversation where she was able, this woman was able to offer God's encouragement and a listening ear and even an opportunity to invite her to church. There is power in simply blessing somebody, isn't there? Now today we come to the fourth habit that Jesus practiced. And if you're following on your notes, habit number four is Jesus regularly ate with people outside the faith. Jesus regularly ate with people outside the faith. That's right. Listen to this. One of Jesus' strategy for mission was to see something we do three times a day, if not more for some of you, as an opportunity to engage with others, especially with others outside of the normal religious establishment. Jesus ate with people. How radical. Now, English pastor and author Tim Chester once posed a question I read, and it really stunned me. I just kind of sat back and never thought of this. He asked, how would you complete the following sentence? The Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. How would you complete that sentence? The New Testament actually completes that sentence in three ways. Two of them you're probably very familiar with. The first one we find in Mark 10, 45. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another one you might have thought of was Luke 19, 10, where we read, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, both of those statements tell us what Jesus' mission is. And what our mission is to be, right? To be a ransom, to give our lives, to serve, and to seek and save the lost. But the third one, I bet almost none of you in this room thought of this one. In Luke 7.34, we read, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, talking to the Pharisees, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. If the first two tell us about Jesus' purpose or mission in coming, what does that third one tell us? I think it tells us a little bit about his method or his strategy about how he fulfilled his mission. He came eating and drinking, an everyday occurrence in his life. But he saw it as an opportunity to engage with others, especially tax collectors and sinners, those outside of his normal circle. Now, this idea of sharing a meal across a table has been central to to Judeo-Christian faith from the very beginning. It's connected to the whole idea of being hospitable people. In fact, did you know that God gave the Israelites a law to be hospitable? He told them, hey, if strangers come to your land, welcome them into your home because you too were once strangers without a land. So in many ways, I think Jesus is just continuing this tradition of hospitality. And so my challenge for us today is, will you continue it in your life? Will you see eating an everyday occurrence in your life as an opportunity to engage others? 
Now, to take a deeper look at this, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. If you're getting used to where things are in your Bible, it's probably about three-fourths of the way back, third book of the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you today, I always invite you to grab one of the black Bibles we provide in the seat underneath you or in front of you there, and you can find this story on page 836 of those black Bibles. Now, it's awesome. My first time back, my first time preaching in three months— I get to look at one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And in this story, we're going to see one of Jesus' disciples simply use eating as a strategy to introduce his friends to Jesus. I'm going to break it down into two sections because this text naturally does that for us already. So let's first start the first section by reading verses 27 and 28 out loud on our notes together there. Would you do that with me? It says... After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, believe it or not, there is so much to unpack in just those two little verses. But let's talk first about this man named Levi, or some of you may know him better as Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. Levi was actually a tax collector. He was Jewish, but he was a tax collector for the Roman government. I don't need to get into too much detail to tell you. Let's just assume he was one of the most despised people in all of Israel. Because the Jewish people would have considered him to be a total traitor. You see, the way a tax collector made their money was by extorting other people who were paying taxes. They would charge them more. That's how they, and then take it off the top. And so listen, a Jewish person taxing other Jewish people for an outside power would make him public enemy number one. Now with that in mind, just think about how radical these verses are. Jesus goes to this sellout, this outsider, this traitor, and he calls him to be one of his disciples. That would be like me as a Vikings fan being friends with a Chicago Bears fan. (laughs) Unimaginable, right? Now, I want you to just picture the scene here. I hope you use your imagination when you're reading scripture. I love to do that. But I want you to picture Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. People are coming up to him. They're paying him stuff. They're probably cursing at him under their breath. And you're working your ledger book there. You're figuring out how much you can scam off of these people. And all of a sudden, this rabbi shows up and he says, follow me. Friends, as simply as I can put it for you, that is exactly what it means to be a Christian. If you're following on your notes, a Christian is someone who's been called. Called. Called from one thing to another thing. Called from one way of life into another way of life. New life in Christ always begins with a call. Throughout the New Testament, this is the pattern. We see people called to follow Jesus, to follow him. Who initiates a call? Jesus. He always is the one who initiates. He's always the one who enters a person's life and extends the invitation. Some people take the call and some people don't. I hope that relieves some of the pressure when we talk about things like evangelism. You can't force somebody to be called to Jesus. Only he can call another person. And some people might respond to it. Other people might not. But that's not our job. It's Jesus' job to call someone. Some, none of the calls in the New Testament are the same, and so we got to be careful about turning this into a program or a method. You know, it's not like, well, did you come down to the front and pray the prayer when you were seven? Because then it doesn't count. No, it's not like that, friends. 
Everybody's call is different, and yet there are some characteristics that are going to be the same for every person who has been called to be a disciple. I'll mention three. First, if you're on your notes, to be called is an invitation to follow a person, not an idea. A person, not an idea. I can't tell you how important it is to consider this. Jesus always comes into a person's life, and he says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow this idea. He doesn't say, follow this religion. He doesn't say, follow these rules. He always says, follow me. That's the crux of our faith, but it's sometimes not understood. In fact, I appreciate how Tim Keller talks about this. He says, let me be as frank as I possibly can. When people are investigating Christianity, I will never be very patient with this question. They'll say, well, I'm interested in Christianity, but before I follow Jesus, what is the Christian view of this? What's the Christian view of that? What's the Christian view of marriage? What's the Christian view of doing this or that? I know what they're saying. They're saying, I'm interested in Christianity, but I still want to be able to live my life how I want. When you ask that question, you're on the wrong scent because the Bible says always, first, 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 you have to decide who he is before anything else. Do we need to hear that today or what? I mean, how often do we think things or even hear things from other people like, what's the Christian view of sexuality? What's the Christian view of this political issue or that political issue? What does the Bible say about this? You fill in the blank. I know you've heard this stuff all the time. But what we're saying when we think that or ask that is, yeah, I'm interested in Jesus, but first I got to make sure my ideas all line up with his ideas. In other words, I'm not going to deal with Jesus until I decide how he's going to deal with me. Been reading a lot of Mark Sayers while I've been recovering. He's a, he's a theologian from Australia, and he calls this, this really st stood out to me, he calls it DIY spirituality. Do your own, right? I'll take this part about Jesus. I like the blessing part. I like the salvation part. But I'm going to kind of leave that stuff about sexuality or you, you name it, right? I'm going to create my own version of what it means to follow Jesus. But that is never what it means to be called by the person of Jesus Christ. Always, 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 the first question is, is Jesus who he says he is? If he is, then he is the authority of my life, period. What he says goes. Now, all these ideas that I might have, all these questions I might have, they're not insignificant, but they become secondary. I'll figure out what Jesus teaches about those things later. But do you realize how ridiculous it is for us to say, I want to know whether I like your view of the issues first, and then I might follow you. No, no, no. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of all? Once you settle that question, then you bring your other questions, and sometimes, guess what? Our ideas, our thoughts, our way of thinking, our culture's way of thinking is going to clash with God's answers to those questions. It just is. But that is where we must decide, or hopefully have already decided, he's still going to be my authority no matter what. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see a person called by Jesus then laying out conditions in order to follow him. We don't see Levi interviewing Jesus here, saying, hey, listen, before I follow you, I got to know, what are your views on the current tax laws? No, he just follows him. And everything else in his life falls into place after that, even if they are hard things, even if there are things that Levi doesn't understand. Of course, there are some times that Jesus invites, some people who Jesus invites to follow him, and guess what? 
they do lay out conditions like the rich young ruler. And so he knows, even he knows, though, it's an all or nothing thing. And he walks away. He knows he can't be a disciple. Have you recognized that that's the call? It's a call to follow Jesus. You're all in. If you want to follow the real Jesus, you got to come to crips with the authority question first. You don't say, I'll follow Jesus if I like his agenda. You say, I'm going to follow Jesus and get in line with his agenda. Period. I'm telling you, I'm convinced right now in our culture, our American society, this is the biggest issue facing followers of Christ, would-be followers of Christ. It is about authority. We don't like this as Americans. We want our individual freedoms, right? We want to create our own image of who God is, but to be called is to follow a person. And we ask, answer the question on your notes there, is Jesus my word, is Jesus and his word my authority no matter what? Can you say that about your life? I'm following Jesus, the person Jesus, no matter what. That leads to the second characteristic of being called, if you're on your notes again. To be called means to surrender complete control of our lives to him. I mean, you can see how these are related. I've used this illustration before, but I think it fits well here. Have you ever been out to dinner, out to lunch, had somebody in your home? It's a particular kind of person. I think you all know them. This person that you're with has one of these little things that they stick on their belt. And every once in a while, this little thing on their belt buzzes. And if that thing on their belt buzzes, they say, excuse me, I need to leave this conversation right now. I'll be right back. They take the little thing off their belt. They look at it, and then they make a phone call. And then they come back to the table and say, I got to leave now. Who are these poor people whose lives are controlled by these little things on their belts? Doctors. And any doctor will tell you if they're on, on call, they have no control over their lives. If you're on call, you don't just decide what you want to do. You have no control over your schedule or your time. Now listen, that's what the Bible says every follower of Jesus has been called to. Several times in the Gospels, Jesus gets clear about what following him means. In fact, in Matthew 16, 24, probably the most famous example, says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To be called means we surrender our lives fully to him. You stop running your own life. You give up complete control to Jesus. This is what Levi did. He says, the Bible says, He got up, left everything to follow this person, and his whole life changed. Aren't you always amazed when you read these stories in the gospel? I mean, just like that, follow me. And it always says, immediately, they got up and they followed him. Why? Because they recognized who he was. And they recognized they had to leave their old life behind, surrender everything to him. Believe it, Levi made a substantial sacrifice by following Jesus. He was certainly wealthy, but he doesn't care about wealth anymore. Because he knows that following Jesus is worth more than anything that this world could possibly offer. Because he knows that this man gave up his life so that he may have a new life, an abundant life, an eternal life. And what does this abundant life look like? That leads to the third characteristic of a call. Being called by Jesus means we are to join Jesus in his mission. That's the abundant life, Jesus says. Follow me. Surrender everything, and then join me in the work I'm doing in this world. This is the opposite message the world tells us every day. We're inundated with this message. 
We don't have an abundant life when we give our lives away. Ugh. We have an abundant life when we accumulate stuff for ourselves, when we make life about ourselves. And yet, where does that life ultimately lead? Emptiness. I have a great friend in this very church who was incredibly wealthy, lived in a mansion, had it all according to the world's standards, and he has shared with our church before that he felt totally empty. And then he met the person of Jesus, and he surrendered his life to this person, and now he is joining Jesus in his mission in this world. And he's never been more satisfied. He's never been happier. He's never been more joyful. Friends, we are called to follow Jesus. We're not called to join a club. We're called to join a movement, a movement where we are to go into our community and into our world and bring this message of abundant life as his followers that is available to all people still today. So back to our story. This was Jesus' invitation to Levi. Follow me, a person. Surrender your life to me and join my mission. Join my mission. It's still his call to us today. If you were here like six weeks ago or so, Pastor Jeff laid out our new vision, our renewed vision really as a church. And this is it. I mean, it's all about being called, right? Look at it on the screen and read it out loud with me just as a reminder of what we're all about here at Cherry Hills. To see people of every generation giving themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to as disciples of Jesus. Have you received that call? Maybe today could be the day. Many of you have. Then if you have, it's time. It's time to live your lives fully and join him in the mission he's doing in this community and in this world. And that's exactly what we see happening next in our story. Look at verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. I love that. Levi loses no time in joining Jesus in his mission. Once he starts following this person, Jesus, and he surrenders his life to him, one of the first things he wants to do is get his friends to meet him. And the way he does that, his strategy, is in a conference. It's not a mission trip. It's a meal. It's a meal. Not just any meal, we're told he throws a banquet. And that would give us some idea of just how wealthy Levi was and how much he's leaving behind. And so if you're following, Levi invited others to encounter Jesus by throwing a party. Again, from the world's perspective, Levi has given up too much. But Levi knows, no, 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 I'm gaining way more than I would ever give up. And I want others to know about this. Do you still desire that? You know, studies have shown that the longer a person has followed Jesus, the less likely they are to not only share Jesus with others, but even to interact with people outside of their church. It's so easy, isn't it, to lose our concern for others. I know I fall victim to this, especially as someone who spends every day in the church always talking to you guys. So easy, so easy to become a club mentality. But that was not Levi's attitude. He hasn't lost his heart I love, again, using the, our imaginations to picture this party here. Can't you picture it? There's Levi in his house. Maybe he's at the kitchen at the punch, t- punch bowl. And he's looking in the living room. And all his friends, his new friends, his old friends, are all mingling together. They're having conversations. And I just imagine Levi is praying the whole time, please, 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 Lord, open their eyes so they may see Jesus for who he really is. Do something radical in the hearts of my friends, just like you did in my own heart. 
Unfortunately, Levi's friends aren't the only ones at this party. There's some party crashers. You ever been at a party and there's some party crashers? Well, there's some here. Look at verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I know Pharisees have often gotten a bad rap if you grow up in the church, and rightfully so at times. But one thing we need to understand that we can respect is that they were deadly serious about following the law of Moses. Which, if you've ever read it, you know there are some very strict rules about purity in regards to objects and places and people and food. In fact, I'm reading Leviticus right now in my daily devotions. Pray for me. But you know, if you've ever read it, just how serious they took purity. Now, they could become very legalistic at times and religious at times, but understand, one of their core beliefs, because of their love for the law, was that salvation came by segregation. What do I mean? Well, they thought it was considered necessary for them to keep themselves set apart from anyone or anything that was considered unclean because that in turn would make them unclean. Now, I can relate a lot right now to the Pharisees just two months out of a kidney transplant. I'm told by my doctors, stay away from sick people because it could be devastating if I were to get sick right now. So I relate to the Pharisees, but listen, they believe that this idea worked spiritually and morally as well. They believe that they would become unclean by associating with sick people, with sinners, so they cannot understand why this Jewish rabbi spends so much time eating with tax collectors and sinners. Listen, purity is a good thing, right? Jesus calls us to purity in our lives today. Be holy as I am holy, but unfortunately, if you're following on your notes, in their desire for purity, the Pharisees lost their love for others. In their desire for purity, the Pharisees lost their love for others or they forgot the mission of God. Now, before we roll our eyes at them, can we just admit something? Every one of us, I bet, falls victim to this kind of thinking at times. We can be Christianized right out of our Christianity. We can become a society, a tight society that follows all the right rules. But along the way, we lose our heart for others. Or if you're following, we too can become a club and forget the mission of God, just like those studies show. We can separate ourselves so much from the world that we only relate to others in our club. But think about this, please. Jesus, the most pure person who ever lived, comes and associates with lepers, with outcasts, with sinners, and he even goes to a dinner at a house full of tax collectors. Ugh. Not only was Jesus not separating himself from others, he was actually seeking them out. He sought sick people out. I read a story this week, great story, about a, a Baptist pastor out in Oregon. And he was talking with his mentor, and, and he mentioned to him, you know, my neighbor, he throws this margarita party every Friday night, and he keeps inviting me to it, and I always tell him no, of course. And the mentor said to him, why? Why don't you hold firm to your convictions, but just go to the party? He's like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll do that. So the next time his neighbor asked him, he said, yeah, I'd like to come. And the neighbor was like, what? And he got there, and he's intermingling with all the guys there, and, and they're like, what do you do? Well, I'm a Baptist pastor. A Baptist pastor at a margarita party is a surprise, right? 
It's going to evoke some questions, which is exactly the point. Now, he still held firm to his convictions about drinking, and yet he told his mentor the week after, he said, I've never had more spiritual conversations that night than before in my life. Friends, I'm sure some of the people in his church, though, I'm sure some of the people in his church, though, were a little indignant about that. Why would you go to a margarita party? It's the same question the Pharisees ask, isn't it? Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is the key question. Why would we? Why would we eat with people outside of our circle? Sometimes people who are different than us, who live differently than us. Why would we go to a margarita party even if you don't drink a margarita? Jesus' answer to this points us again to his mission, which, if I remember, is still our mission today, right? Don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're on the same mission he was. So what's his answer? Read verses 31 and 32 on your notes with me from the New Living Translation. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because they're the ones who know they need him. And it's for that very reason he came. He didn't come for people who think they have no need of him like the Pharisees, but for those who know deep down they're in need of him. And so they welcome him. Let me put it this way. When you're sick, you're sick in some way, there are two ways for you to deal with that. One of the ways is by dealing with the symptoms of your sickness. For 43 years in my life, you know, that's what I've essentially been doing. I've been dealing with the symptoms of having a kidney disease, but how do you really get rid of a sickness? You got to deal with the root problem. You got to deal with the root problem. The Bible tells us the root problem of every human being, including these Pharisees, is something called sin. None of us are able to live according to the way that God wants us to live. And we look around our world today and we see symptoms of this root problem all around us, right? But the Pharisees were blind to this. They fundamentally believed that they could address the symptoms and by doing that, they would then address the root problem. They thought spiritual health was earned based on living a good and pure life, but they were blind that they too were diseased. On the other hand, we look at tax collectors and sinners, and guess what? They know. <laughs> the symptoms are there all the time, and they know they can't deal with the symptoms. So they need something. They need someone who can deal with the problem of their heart. And that's why we read in the Gospels, they flocked to Jesus. That's why Levi invited his friends to a meal so that they could meet the one who made him well. I know many of you in this room have recognized your root problem. And sometime in the past, you came to the great healer who gave his life as a ransom for you. Remember, that's his mission, so that you could be cured. But I wonder if we believe the lie I often do, that the people God puts on my path, in my neighborhoods, in my schools, in my workplaces, in my gym, they're not in need of the same cure. I look at their lives and they go, they got everything together. They're living the dream. They're doing quite well. But if we open our eyes, I'm telling you, the symptoms are all there. Anger, depression, addiction, which is the way we self-medicate our root problem. Deep down, people know there's a problem. 
There's a problem with the way I treat my kids. There's a problem with the way I treat my coworker. There's symptoms in my life that I see every day. Levi is a perfect example of this. From the outside, he's living the good life. He's wealthy. He's got a huge home. He's driving a BMW. I'm positive. Yet he was still empty. Jesus offered him more. Jesus offered him a cure. And he jumped at the chance. Fortunately, though, Levi didn't stop there. He knew he was called. Called to follow Jesus. Called to surrender everything to Jesus. And called to join Jesus in his mission. Just like we're called today. And so what did he do? What was his grand plan for introducing people to Jesus? He ate with them. He shared a meal with them. That's it. That's it. Do you think everyone Levi invited to this party followed Jesus that night? This is really important. Do you think everyone Levi invited to that party followed Jesus that night? No way. And I think it's extremely important for us to hear that as we live our life on mission. Sometimes, all the Lord is calling you to do is share a meal with someone else and care for them. Maybe it plants a seed. That's what we can pray. But we don't turn these meals necessarily, force them into something they're not meant to be. Jesus told his disciples the same thing when he sent them out two by two. He said, listen, there's going to be people who I will call persons of peace in your life. You know that God is working there. Engage. There's going to be other people who slam the door in your face. They're not ready yet. In the same way, you might have a meal with someone and you can just tell the Spirit is doing something in their life and I promise you that same Spirit that filled Levi will fill you and show you what to say and where to go next. On the other hand, sometimes you're just going to share a meal and there's going to be no, nothing afterwards. Is that a failure? No. You genuinely cared for another person. You showed compassionate curiosity. So as we consider all that, at least to the challenge I'm leaving us with this week, it's simply this on your notes. Will I invite one person this week to share a meal with me? Someone outside of the club. No pressure, no evangelism tricks, no making people into projects, just genuinely getting to know somebody in your path and see where it leads. Again, if God's at work, I promise you, you'll know. And if he's not, I promise you, you'll know. We're convinced, and it's why we're doing this series. I am convinced about this. Please hear that the future of the kingdom of God comes down to whether individual, ordinary followers of Jesus will begin to see their everyday, ordinary, sometimes boring lives as the primary ground on where God is at work in this world. We tend to believe it's the big things God likes to use, and I'm not a big thing kind of person, so it's the church services, it's the missions trips, it's the conferences, that's where God really moves. But I promise you, more often than not, if you're following on your notes, while those things are good, the kingdom of God spreads as we see our everyday lives as the place where God works. And one of the ways you can do that is by sharing a meal with another human being. If there's one thing I want you to get from this morning, it's that if Levi could do this, you could do this. Levi had no special training. He was a tax collector. Yet he knew he could do one thing. He could offer to invite his friends to share a meal with him. He was just a follower of Jesus who cared about his friends and he refused to sit around and watch them waste their lives. As I said at the beginning, you already eat three times a day. That's 21 meals a week by my account. What would it look like for you to just use one of those 21 to invite another person 
to a meal. Maybe you want to throw an elaborate dinner party like Levi. Maybe you just want to go grab breakfast or even just coffee with somebody God has put on your path. I've talked to two people this week. One of them talked about how her parents started this habit where after church on Sundays, they would invite a new family to their home every single week. It just became a practice they did, and she shared about the significance of her life. I met with another guy this week, and totally out of the blue, we weren't even talking about this. He said, oh yeah, in the next month, we're going to be doing our second annual turkey soup dinner in our neighborhood. I said, tell me about that. He goes, yeah, we just thought that would be a great way. Share a meal with those in our, our neighbors that we don't know, and not, not a lot of them go to church, but it's going to be our second annual. So what about starting a first annual something in your neighborhood? Or I'm going to make it so easy for you, you can't refuse. In two weeks, we're offering the fall festival here right on our property. We're making it intentionally a family-friendly event, and you could invite somebody to that to come along with you, and you don't even have to cook. That's how easy that is. I love what the journals say this week. If you brought it with you and you're looking at uh, this message, you can turn here. It's this page here. But the journals say, there is power in opening our homes, and it is often at the table that we see barriers broken and community formed. Isn't that true? It's often a table that becomes the great equalizer. People begin to open up where they might not open up in another setting. They begin to share their life stories, their hopes, their fears, their disappointments. And sometimes they're even open for us to open up and share about things that are important in our lives, including our faith in Christ. Listen, if we want to be like Jesus, which is our goal in life, then we need to hang out with those who need him because that's what he did. So as we close, here's the question I want you to consider both the rest of this morning as we have a time of prayer, but also in your journals this week, a time to reflect. Who is the Lord prompting me to invite to a table this week? And if it can't be this week, how about this month? I've been praying a lot about this as I've been preparing, and I've been asking the Holy Spirit, would you reveal some names to me, some faces to me? And I believe if you are genuine about this, and you ask him to reveal somebody's face, somebody's name along your everyday normal path, he will do that right now. And I encourage you to write that down and follow through with it. But let's spend just a time reflecting on what we've heard and on who we might be able to invite to a meal this week. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.